I'm Maria. I'm Modi and Pakia. And I'm Kate. And I'm Iranian Australian. And you're listening to Being Biracial, the podcast of Levat navigating the world as a biracial person. We want to acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on the unceded sovereign lands of the Bunurong and Wurrung people of the Eastern Kulin Nations. And we want to offer our respect to the elders of these lands, past, present and those yet to come. And also acknowledge traditional custodians from the lands where this podcast is reaching you. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Today we're going to be chatting to Damien about being biracial. Damien lives in Melbourne. He is a public servant and one of the best cooks that I know. Damien is actually one of my oldest friends and I'm so grateful that you're in the studio with us today, Damien. No worries. Thanks for having me. So we, as we always do, we just want to start by asking you what your mix is. So my mum is Malaysian Chinese and her, it's not quite, I guess, that easy. I guess it's a question that gets asked a lot. Um, so her mum, so my grandmother on my mum's side, is Nonya Malaysian. So it's a you know ethnic minority within Malaysia. And then my grandfather is, I think, see, this is I, I don't actually know that well, but he was Southern Chinese, so from Xiamen. And then my father's German, so. And how did they end up in Australia? Yeah. Both my parents? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So mum was actually born on Christmas Island, which is, yeah, you know, now infamous for the detention centre. And it's always funny, uh, you know, when people ask that question, I tell them that they look at me like, hmm. Are you a refugee? Are you a refugee? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's how you came here. No. And then, yeah, so mum was born on Christmas Island to a family of 15 children. Ooh. Yeah, and then so she's number eleven, and uh, I think a lot of her older um, siblings had moved to Singapore, um, and then she followed them to Singapore, and then you know she was in in quest of a better education and um, and you know better life opportunities, and, and moved to Australia, where she already had family here in Melbourne, and then my dad he moved here with his family, his parents uh, when he was thirteen, and then yeah, my they met through a friend. Of a friend, so my dad was studying at university, and his friend introduced him to this woman that he knew from from Christmas Island, and that was my mum. So, yeah. so cute. Is your Very dad cute. like extremely German? Like, has a German accent? <laughs> How German How is German? your dad? Well, his name is Andreas Karl Heinz Helmut Marquardt, so I think he's <laughs> he's pretty German, right? So <laughs> That's extremely German. <laughs> And my mum's name is Lucy Tan. Um, you know, she since marriage, she she changed her name to Lucy Tan Marquardt, hyphenated. Yeah, so he's pretty German. So he doesn't have a full accent, but he speaks German to his his parents and his sister. Do you think that it was controversial for your parents to be together? Yeah, definitely, definitely for my dad's family. So for my mum's family, um, 
I think my mum, yeah, my mum was the first person to marry a white, a white man, you know. So she, as I said, is number 11 and she's got a few other sisters, some older, some younger, who also married, you know, a white person in Australia. Uh, but my mum is very uh, fierce and very determined. You know, she's a, she's a dragon Chinese zodiac. And she loves the fact, and she's born on February the 8th, you know, so those things in her mind are auspicious and um, she's a very strong personality and always wanted to marry a white man. Uh, that sounds really, yeah, but, but that's, it's true. She has said that. Yeah, so when she married a white man, I think it was very, it was more accepted, I guess, within her family and amongst her sisters. But yeah, my when my, yeah, the, I haven't heard too much. They've tried to keep a lot of it away from me, but uh, yeah, it wasn't. It didn't go down too well uh, when my father married my mother. I think there was a lot of initial, yeah, uh, reluctance maybe or hesitation amongst the family because it's a different culture. And yeah, as I said, my mum's a very strong personality and, and can clash with others who are equally uh, strong personality. Go but, Lucy! Um, yeah. <laughs> I didn't realise until you said her birthday that she's in fact an Aquarius and I'm in fact an Aquarius <laughs> and so I relate deeply to Lucy. Yes, and I don't know Aquarius but yeah, a dragon, Chinese zodiac, you know, and maybe yep, born on the 8th, very yep. auspicious. And a double crown yeah. in her hair which again is another sign of strength. <laughs> and what? languages do they do they speak English to each other English always English um so I'm the youngest of three boys and my mum when she had my first brother um used to speak Cantonese to him you know to try and educate him or you know to have that mother tongue um from a very young age but uh yeah it didn't didn't continue it I think you know it just got too hard so yeah English was always the the language in our house uh, as I said dad spoke well, and still does speak German to his um, parents and his sister. So, you know, whenever they spoke on the phone or whenever we went to, to came to Melbourne for Christmas, um, you know, surrounded by, by the German language. And then same with my mum. So all her family is was either in uh, Singapore or Melbourne. And yet she'd speak on the phone, I think, in a mix of many languages. <laughs> so a lot of Cantonese, a lot of Hokkien. Um, her mum spoke Tai Chu as well. Uh, which is a yeah another dialect of uh, another Chinese dialect, but then intersp- inter- interspersed I guess with a lot of English words. Um, so yeah, so yeah, surrounded by a lot of uh, different languages, many of which you know I, I don't understand, and, and any of them, and I couldn't speak to my grandmother, my mum's mother, my maternal grandmother. I could never speak to her. Um, she never spoke English, and I never spoke um, yeah any of the languages that she spoke. So. Does your older brother speak Cantonese still or it's disappeared? No, it's disappeared. He never really spoke it, but he reckons he can understand. But now you speak Chinese. Mum definitely wanted us to uh, grow up speaking Mandarin. You know, she was very, so she's a very strong, strategic uh, woman and thought that, uh, you know, it would be useful for her kids to speak Mandarin, even though she didn't speak it. Um, so she got us into uh, Chinese language school very, very early. As like well Saturday as school? Saturday school, Sunday school, yeah. For and all three boys? All three boys. Obsessed. But it was, you know, she had, she has a very strong cultural identity and brought us up with a very strong uh, Chinese cultural identity. And I think she saw that as part of maintaining or you know, developing that cultural identity amongst ourselves, uh, learning that Chinese language. So, 
Yeah. Did you live in China as well? I did, yeah, yeah. So I studied um, Mandarin in, in school all the way up until year 12. And then yeah, I was fortunate to um, get a program to study in, in China for a year after the end of year 12. So yeah, it was really good. How did you feel when you were in China? Did you feel like you fit in or did you feel still like an outsider? Yeah, it's a good question. A bit of both, right? So I was part of this um, program with 12 other Australian people. And when I got there, a lot of, you know, Chinese people would look at me and just, you could tell, right, that they didn't quite know whether I was a white person yeah. or, or Western person rather, or or whether I was a, a Chinese person. And, and it's funny, there's a, there's a word in Chinese, which I was reflecting on the other day, just how kind of messed up it is, called hun shui, is it? Which is kind of like mixed blood. Literally mud blood shit. Yeah, literally <laughs> mud blood. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I, I learned that word pretty quickly in, in China because, you know, I'd be hanging out with the other group of um, Australian you know, uh, Western background people and they would look at me and, and immediately assume that I had better uh, language skills as well because I was a uh, mixed blood. And I actually had the worst language skills, <laughs> which is quite funny. I kind of, yeah, it was, a, it was a weird feeling. Like, you know, felt somewhat felt like my cultural identity was a little bit more um, expressed or, you know, I understood it a little bit more. But at the same time, um, if anything, it solidified my feeling of being Australian, right? And and how that, how that I guess, that badge has many different, uh, yeah, different cultural identities. A lot of people say, you know, what's your background or... And I say Chinese Malaysian, and I think I have strong Canberra pride, you know, and being born and bred in Canberra, it's like people ask, where am I from? Tuggernong. (laughs) And technically, neither of your parents are Australian. Like, yeah, no, they weren't born in Australia. Yeah, well, yeah mum was born, yeah, as I say, in Christmas Island, which is a which was a British territory when she was born, which is now part of Australia. So, yeah, I guess technically, my mum's the most Australian. Uh, yeah, more Australian than my dad, even though he's, you know, he is, he is white. So. I'm really interested in the fact that you said that when people ask you that question, you'll say like I'm Chinese Malay or something like that, but you don't include the German part when when you're answering that question. It's funny because it it depends on how the question is asked. Of course. So a lot of people being there. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people ask. You know, my last name is is very um, interesting, Marquart which a lot of people are like, oh, where's that from? And then I often say, you know, it's German. And then I get a look, they're like, oh, but you don't look German. And then I have to say, oh, yeah, you know, and my mum is, you know, Malaysian Chinese. But if people ask outright, you know, where are you from? Then, yeah, my immediate response is Canberra. (laughs) Love that. I love that. (laughs) I'm like New Zealand. Yeah. (laughs) And then, yeah, if pushed, and usually you do get pushed as to like, no, but, no, but like, you know, but your name or, you know, you don't look... Like um, you know, you don't look a like on everybody boy. else, yeah. So, <laughs> and then you know, you can kind of read between the lines as to um, as to what they actually mean. Do you identify as POC? Uh, so that's a no. I guess um, you know, it's a it's a term that's relatively new to me and my experience, and I I don't think I do really. And it's um, really broad too, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's like trying to paint a. Uh, like all of these people with the same brush. Yeah, I think I've been pretty, and over the last uh, you know few years, have have been thinking about my identity um, and ethnic identity 
um, a lot more and just thinking about who I am and, and how I fit in. And I think I've done a lot um, subconsciously as a, as a child and even, you know, through my upbringing and even where I lived and went to school and, and everything and my interests um, to fit into that quintessential Australian, uh, you know, and, and being half, you know, white um, and half acceptable uh, in, in, you know, uh, South Canberra, South Canberran eyes. Um, yeah, I identified a lot more with that kind of, you know, quintessential Australian, that sporty kind of person that's, you know, laid back and um, and things like that. So. Do, you, do you remember when you were growing up, if you had other like mixed race or biracial friends or other other kids that weren't white? Yeah, yeah. So that's funny because um, in my high school, I I hung out with what was classified as the Asians. Oh, love. Yeah. So I went to a uh, public school um, and there were maybe four other Australian-born Chinese and we always used to – we just naturally hung out together. Um, this is safe. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. And, and, and we all did uh, Chinese uh, language together, like Chinese class, and we did a lot of like, you know, the maths and the science and, and a lot of the um, academic subjects together and we were yeah, classified as the Asians – <laughs> and and we you know did well in school and you know because we had those values instilled um from our parents but yeah, I was I was very um sporty and I played a lot of soccer and you know I did a lot of athletics and things like that and as a result we spent a lot of time at lunchtime playing soccer as as the Asians and it was quite funny like we we bonded over that and um and you know a few other people joined our group but yeah pretty much we hung out just just together in that group. So that was a lot of my identity growing up as a kid, like that, that mixed identity, right, of being accepted by the, the um, white Australian population because I was sporty and, and did well in the sports teams, but then hung out with all the Asian kids because we were academically minded. So. And do you think that has kind of translated throughout your life in terms of the people that you're friends with and the communities that you've, like, sought out? Yeah, I think so. I think I've always wanted to find friends that could do both, right? And and um, I'd never really found that to, to the same extent in, in Canberra and it, it, I think it, you know, it encouraged me to leave and, yeah, seek a wider you know, friendship group, I guess, with, with the diverse interests and not wanting to be, you know, pigeonholed in, into one particular group, like not to not be... Not wanting to be the Asians. Not yeah. wanting to be the Asians, yeah, definitely. It's, <laughs> it's um yeah... It's funny how you can have that kind of stuff from your childhood that you're like, that was really weird that we were the Asians mm. and that at the time it's so normalised yeah. and you don't even think we about it. accepted it. Yeah. yeah. You like leaned in. We leaned yeah. in, yeah, we really did. And, you know, I think it was, yeah, I, mean, I guess self-preservation um, and it was nice to all you know, be in it together and, and I guess to have that tacit weird approval from from the – from the white Australians around, oh, you guys play sport, you know, like that kind of thing. It's like, oh, you're you're somewhat acceptable because you do the things that that we do. Um, but yeah, if we didn't play sport, I wonder how that would have gone down. Yeah, it's a it's a lot for kids, and I think as a child, you you don't realize that that yeah. you're going through the motions. That's just what you do, and and you know, like the decision to play soccer at lunchtime is not like a political act. But as an adult reflecting on it, you're like, oh no. This is how I fit in with these guys. Yeah. 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 Yep. This is how I'm seen as Australian. 
And I'm in also interested in the this kind of so your white passing, like as as you've kind of described, or like people wouldn't I think immediately assume that you are from a particular place, mm. and I'm sure you get a wide variety mm. of places. What are your <laughs> what What are your places that people think you're from? I have had some fascinating ones. Um, so I used to work at this restaurant in the city, and um, you know, just strangers feeling that they can comment on who you are or where you're from or what you look like. And I remember, and it was a, it was a nice restaurant. Working behind the bar just had lots of people just be like, oh, you know, oh, you're, are you Russian? Are you Native American? Are you Balkan? You know, I had a lot of people think that I'm from, you know, you know Southern Europe. What else have I had? Yeah, uh, Islander. A lot of people think I'm like, you know, oh. uh, an Islander. Yeah. <laughs> I get Islander too. Yeah. That's more accurate for me. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it, it's it's actually fascinating that, yeah, people just think that they can um, comment on, on, on where you're from and just based on how you look and, um, yeah, and ascribe all these, uh, you know, characteristics just based on how you look. Um, how does that make you feel? You know, when I was younger, I used to wear it as a badge of pride. I used to say, you know what, like, yeah, cool. Like, I'm a little bit different. And I'm ambiguous. Yeah. Nobody knows. Yeah, ethnically ambiguous. And I kind of liked that and I was like, oh, cool. Like, you know, saw it as, yeah, all right, people are interested. I guess the more that it happens, the, the less novel it gets. And yep. you just think, oh, God, this is tiring. And you think – and you look at, you know, your, your – your friends or um, colleagues or whatever, and they don't have to go through the same degree of interrogation and, and having to defend or explain themselves as to why they fit in or why they, uh, you know, are acceptable. And it's like, God, sometimes you just get tired of answering the same questions. Of, From literal strangers. Yeah, literal strangers, yeah. like just, I do not know you. Yeah. You have no right to this information. <laughs> and just the presumption, I guess, that, um, yeah, that – you are a particular way and, um, oh, wow, you've got an Australian accent. What? Wow. I thought, sorry, I thought you were Native American. Oh, I thought you were Russian. Wow. How long have you been here? It's like, oh, God. Do you and your brothers all look pretty similar? Because sometimes people and their siblings can look like on varying degrees of the spectrum. Yeah. Good question as well. So I think we do all look very similar. I mean, I, you know, I, in my view, and I think from an outsider's point of view, but there are definitely, um, and again, this is quite a funny thing, but people are like, oh, your, you know, your older brother looks more Asian or looks more Chinese and your middle brother, he looks more German. And it's like, God, like what, you know, you're the authority on, you know, he's 75% Chinese and I'm 50% Chinese. Like, it's just, uh, so that has been a question, uh, has been a um a conversation topic that has come up a lot as well. Again, from literal strangers that are like, "Oh, but you're more, you're more Asian, you're more German, you're more this or whatever." So, Do you yeah. think you're all pretty similar in terms of like how ethnic you are? In terms of like your heart, like you said, you were, you had quite a like Chinese Malay cultural upbringing. Do you think that you all have embraced it to a similar degree? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think we have. Um, yeah, I think, um, my eldest brother, um, he also has worn it as a badge of pride, I think being culturally diverse. Um, and he's married, uh, a Fijian Indian 
women and they have these really beautiful um, kids and a really beautiful family. But again, like I feel sorry for my little uh, nephew because he's going to get it. He's going to cop it even more. The from least. both sides. From yeah. both but also sides. imagine he's going to be like, all right, I'm yeah. Fijian, I'm Indian, I'm German, I'm Chinese, yeah. I'm Malay, yeah. but I'm actually also – how do you say it? Nonya. Nonya. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and I'm Aussie. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, and I'm from Canberra. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to have to present people with like a like a card, like yeah. a business card. But that's what it is, right? Like you know, when I, you know, I when you ask a question, I had a script in my head of what I go through because you get asked it so many times. Um, and then my other brother as well, um, so my middle brother, he is definitely, yeah, he as well wears it as a badge of pride and, you know, uses it as a, as a point of diversity and he's quite active. Um, you know, he's, he's in the legal world over in the UK and, and he's gay and he fights very much within his, you know, corporate law firm at that level to advance the, uh, you know, the interests of diverse uh, people, whether they're, you know, through their sexual orientation or their kind of uh, ethnic background or, you know, gender even. So he is, he's very much, a, he's very much a, a warrior in that, in that he's sense. He's got some of Lucy. Oh, he's, got, he's got most of Lucy. <laughs> Lucy come through. Yeah. <laughs> Damien, um, I have a question about food. You said you were part of um, a crew of Asians while you were at school mm-hmm. and that your mum did most of the cooking um, in your family. Where are you those kids that showed up to school with, with, the, um, with the ethnic food? Was that you? <laughs> we were uh, to, to some extent, but we definitely did, I guess, as a, as a group, have very different uh, food choices and would often bring, you know, like a big thermos full of fried rice or noodles or whatever. And I think we were probably the only uh, people that really wanted a microwave at the, at the, at the school, <laughs> at high school, so we could warm up our yummy leftovers. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, it, uh, not as much. You know, I'm thinking of that uh, that movie Wog Boy where he gets down, you know. Yeah. Not, not to that extent, but definitely – um, yeah, if we did have lunchtime, it was uh, we did have different food choices, which is quite good. What kind of food did Lucy and Andreas cook at home? Like, was it German, Malay, Chinese, something else? Yeah, so Mum um, did most of the cooking. Dad cooked a few things. He cooked spaghetti bolognese. That was Classic. his thing. And then the next day, just make that into lasagna. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. traditional <laughs> German easy. fare. He's a, yeah, he's a, he's a pragmatist. Uh, but yeah, mum did most of the cooking and she cooked a variety of stuff. Like, you know, she, she, um, I think expresses a lot of her, uh, cultural identity and her love through food. Um, so she put a lot of effort into, you know, having people over and, and making sure that she would cook traditional food. So she had a few cookbooks and a few recipes that she would cook, uh, Malaysian food. So a lot of, yeah, very spicy curries and, and whatnot. And every Chinese New Year, she'd make, uh, Nonya, um, Pineapple tarts, yeah. Which, yeah, to this day is still, I think, my favorite favorite little treat. So she did, yeah, impart a lot of her cultural identity through through food as well. But she would she would cook a lot of German food. You know, she went to when I say cook a lot of German food, she'd go to the German butcher and just buy like six different types of sausage. 
<laughs> and yeah, every you know, uh, few weeks or so, she'd be like, "We're having German dinner tonight," and either it would be sausages or like cold meat and bread. And <laughs> as a kid, I was like, "Oh wow, this is great! I've got such a rich experience." But I think it was just mum just being absolutely exhausted, not wanting to cook. <laughs> sausages are easy. <laughs> But she did an absolutely, you know, a phenomenal effort to make sure that we were brought up with both uh, cultures equally. She actually made us do German dancing as little kids. Oh, my God. Yeah. What is German uh, dancing? So you dress up in a little lederhosen um, and Where you, are these photos? There's photos. Wow. There. <laughs> and she found it through like the Austrian club in Canberra and – I think I started when I was like five and my brother would have been like 10. And it was to this day probably some of the most like embarrassing things I've ever done. Um, you know, and as a five-year-old, you you dressed up in a little letter hose and dancing with another girl, with a girl, you know, like in a, I don't know, a, a, a German traditional dress. And we'd go to um, old people's homes and uh, and dance for them really and, and put on entertainment and um but yeah, so she was very strong on uh, making sure that we had um, yeah a very rich uh, and and deep understanding of our cultural identity. So. I think we've got the title of this podcast: German dance and nona pineapple tarts. Lederhosen. I am shook by this revelation. I didn't know you were a German dancer. Yeah, so it was things like, you know, I guess just folk dancing, right? And there was this woman, oh, God, I can see her face. I can't remember her name, but she would play the piano accordion and, you know, us little kids would all dance and hold hands and do the shoe, shoe platler kind of thing. And, yeah, it was quite funny, actually, now that I think about it. And we had, you know, the hat and the lederhosen and the shirt and socks pulled up to our knees and... Uh, I am obsessed with that. Did anyone funny. ever ask you what you were doing there as a little ethnic <laughs> boy? Uh, no, actually. Yeah. And and I think about it now, like uh, it would have been quite funny, three little, you know, biracial kids dressed up in lederhosen's like what, what pretenders. But no, yeah, no one ever asked, I guess. Um, Lucy probably went in swinging like, oh, Andreas yeah. is a dead. <laughs> Look at him. Look how German he is. Yeah, so she was very good at that, both through food and through your traditions and very conscious of it, yeah, and very deliberate and intentional about making sure that we had both sides as our, as our um, yeah, identity, which is funny that I then chose to just identify as an Australian. But, but you know, I think that's the beauty of, of that identity is that you can pick and choose, you know, what works for you. But. What did your mum make... Growing up for you guys, Maria, what was the oh. – was she intentional in the way that she Hell was raising her biracial no. children? So sorry, Raywin, going to drag you right now. Uh, meat and three veg, meat and three veg, meat and three veg. We also loved uh, mints. She did a couple of different <laughs> varieties of mints. So it was like red mints, brown mints. <laughs> Sounds a bit like Andreas's cooking. <laughs> Maybe it was in fact German. Exactly. Yeah, no, um, but I think my mum was more concerned with surviving because um, we were really poor and um, she'd like left in a really bad situation. So I, I don't think she had much capacity in her brain to think about, oh, these kids are brown and I'm not, you know. Mm. So she wasn't able to to consider that while she was bringing us up. She just did the best she could. Mm. And she did a damn good job because I'm really cool. <laughs> and you love mints. Yeah. <laughs> 
I'm really good at cooking mints now. What about you? What did, how did Faraday go about it? I think, interestingly, because my parents met in India and my mum left Iran when she was like a teenager, like in her late teens, and um, she is the youngest of 11. And so I think something about being a younger child, you just cook less, the older siblings do, like if I want to know how to cook a Persian recipe, I like, I'm not messaging my mum. Like she's not the go-to. It's one of my two other aunties who are like the known family cooks that I'm going to. And yeah, so my mum grew up in India essentially in her twenties. And so actually cooks a lot of Indian food because that's what she knew. And, and so does my dad as well, because he was there in his twenties as well. And that's, and they're both vegetarian and, um, Iranian food has a lot of meat. So I didn't grow up eating a lot of Iranian traditional dishes, only a few, only a few that had been modified to be vegetarian, which is now very trendy. But uh, at the time, I think was just mum trying to be like, here's something and here's my like fusion version of it. Um, Now that that actually brought up some some memories for me that when I said before that my mum didn't have any like considerations towards like, especially like with food, um, towards our Maori, like our moldiness, um, she actually did make some f- mean fried bread, which is like such a um, what is fried bread? It's literally like dough, like bread dough, deep fried, Ooh. and then like covered in sugar, Ooh. and it's like such a marae staple. Like you can make heaps of it really cheaply, but my mum used to make it all the time. And she always used to go, this is like such a moldy thing. Um, she always used to make, do a boil up like every couple of months and the boil up would have pork bones and puha. So puha is like watercress oh. that you'd find on the side. So really cheap and pork bones, obviously really cheap as well. But it's like such a staple to have a boil up in moldy culture. And I totally forgot she did that. Look at Raywin. She was doing the shit. Yeah, but when I was a kid, I was like, I don't want to boil up. Yuck. Yeah. (laughs) Give me fried bread all day. (laughs) I know. It's funny now in my family because I feel like I have adopted, I cook a lot more Persian food now than I think my mum perhaps does. And I think that's been super intentional on my behalf to be like, food is really important to me and food is a really important way of expressing my cultural identity but it's also good for me to know how to make these dishes and and so yeah it's kind of funny now that it's it's not my mum who's making the dishes but it's in fact me and like for example celebrating Persian New Year is really important for me um in a way that probably my mum living in rural Victoria is you know less focused on Mm. Let's have a bit of a chat about the gender roles and masculinity. Mm. I'm not really sure how to ask it. Yeah, sure. I think um, it's funny because my dad is, you know, this big, burly, hairy German man and my mum is this small afroed, you know, she gets her hair permed, um, uh, afroed Chinese woman with, you know, very hairless and, um, you know, they they've both fit those like uh, classical um, – Western ideas, I guess, of of uh, gender and and then as a result, you know, like uh, all us boys are kind of fit in the middle somewhere, right? Where you know we've inherited these these um, you know physical characteristics from both of our parents, and I think like at times I've identified or you know the Asian uh, cultural identity has been part of my you know identity makeup, 
and then thinking, you know, Asian men aren't attractive to kind of white women, you know, because of this, you know, femininity or this, you know, perception of um, Asian men being more feminine than 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 white men, and it's yeah, it's just a, it's a it's a messed up thing. Everything that you see in in the medium, whatever, particularly in Australia, is very like, men have beards and men are hairy and and big and burly and and when you're not like that and you don't see um, alternatives offered through media or through books even or or you know ideas of beauty or whatever um, uh, expressed in that way, then it does you know make you think, oh, am I? Am I masculine in in the way that needs to be masculine in in society? And you know, for for many years, I was like, "Damn, if only I could grow a beard, then I'd be a man." You know, and and you know, I, I can't grow a beard; that's fine. Um, but I've only recently come to kind of just accept that that's my lot in life. And there's other ways that you can, you know, you don't have to be masculine; even you can just be. Um, and I feel like there's something, and I'm. I, I can't express it properly, but there's there's something in that people want women to be exotic, mm. and I don't know if they want men to be exotic yeah. in the same way. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know it's funny it. because I think my parents have have copped that a bit. You know that that racism being expressed through people thinking that my mum is a mail order bride. Yeah. I've heard that. Um, uh, through my mum, you know, she's had that um, leveled at her and I've heard other people even ask the question of me um, growing up, oh, you know, how did your parents meet? And they're surprised when it's a mutual uh, uh, introduction. It's it's not one of, um, yeah, uh, subservience. It was no cash. Or, that's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And even like having that experience um, played out before my eyes, you know, through travel and, and that being a phenomenon is – is challenging as well and, and, and yeah, just the assumption and maybe that, that you know, question of where are you from uh, that is based on that assumption of, oh, okay, well, you know, your dad's a white guy, your mum's you know, an Asian woman. Is there an age difference, you know? Yeah. Was your dad rich or like? Just... I get that with my parents as well mm. because my mum is Iranian and my dad is white. Uh, for sure. Like my mum has had comments like, oh, you know, your husband's so lucky because he didn't marry like a strong Australian woman. Kind of assumptions <laughs> about how um, women who are who are not white are subservient yeah. to the extent that that is said to the person who, <laughs> I mean, it's just blatant racism. But And it's something that I've definitely been conscious of as well, like proving that my mum is a strong woman yeah. and educated and it's really messed up that I've, have felt that I've had to do that at times. Yeah. And I was going to say, like, if anybody knew Lucy, if anybody talked Ooh, to Lucy yeah. for a second, well, exactly. they would know that she would never, like, that would never, you know, she wouldn't be in America. I think my dad's a mail order husband. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, is that controversial? But I think. <laughs> do you have a particular moment, like Maria and I have talked about this for ourselves, where you felt like you started connecting both with more parts of your identity like I know you said that you've been thinking about it more over the last few years is there is there something in particular or no it's just been a gradual yeah not a particular kind of pivotal moment um for me it's been a very subconscious thing not wanting to cop racism because my mum copped a lot of racism in Canberra um from strangers again like I'd be a young kid at the store with her and 
people would just not serve her. Um, and she'd be like, I was next kind of thing. And she, you know, as you know, you've probably got a good idea of Lucy by now, but she was uh, very angry and, you know, she'd come home and she'd I'm never going to that store again and this and that. And, and yeah, it would really, it would really impact her. And even, even from a young kid, I saw the, the damage that that can do. And as a result, rather than, you know, fighting it, I chose to subconsciously avoid it by, you know, changing my identity or, or you know, squishing my identity into a particular um, quintessentially Australian um, uh, way that, um, yeah, just made sure that I avoided it because it's not a, it's not a very comfortable experience. And even, even with all that, you still cop it, you know, you still, you still, yeah, get people, you know, being overtly racist to you as well as, um, yeah. I was thinking about the fact that, you know, how when you're a kid, I, I wonder if you do this in New Zealand as well, but we, at my primary school at least, used to do a lot of like standardised tests mm. and you'd have to like tick boxes about like what, you know, write your name and then like oh, write your address and then there was a kind of one about ethnic diversity. Oh, yeah. And I like I so distinctly remember coming to that box and being like, I, I, I don't know what I'm going to, like what am, what am I going to for this and also I I think one of them had like one that was like do you speak a a language other than English at home and that was so difficult for me because my mum's like spoke some Farsi to me but it wasn't our predominant other language but she she did speak another language Mm. and 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 so then like in in a in a literal like tick box that is like for the department of education like here comes my identity crisis And then the feeling, I always used to get that as well, and I'd have all these boxes, and I'd feel guilty that I didn't exactly. speak a language at home. I'd be like, why don't I speak German at home? Why yep. don't I speak, like, you know, Cantonese at home or whatever? And I'd just be like, oh, God, who am I? <laughs> exactly. And the, the literal othering, like the literal yeah. having to tick other as your ethnic oh, yeah. identity. Other. Please explain. Oh, <laughs> not this again. Nonya, you know, shaman, southern China. Goes off the page. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, you can start your test now. And Damien's like, I've got my ethnic identity <laughs> test to fill out first. Let's get a stamp. <laughs> yeah. right. So what you've basically been talking about is your ability to code switch and like move between worlds, which is a, something that I think is a very a, a shared experience amongst mm. a lot of biracial yep. people. And for me, it's something that I actually feel quite proud of, which then I feel really a bit messed up in my head that I'm like, why am I basing some of what I like about myself on the fact that I'm able to navigate different yep. worlds? Am I being fake in some way because I'm opting in or out yep. of parts of my identity? How do you feel about code switching? Yeah, I, similar. I feel like I'm very able to adapt to different situations because of that you know it's a skill that you that you learn where you're just like oh okay well you know whatever the code switching is whether it's a professional or personal or you know um yeah different different friendship groups or different hobby groups or whatever then uh, yeah I feel like I am more able to do that but yeah I don't know it's uh, but why you know <laughs> it does I make you feel really skill. guilty yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I just subconsciously learned it when I was a child to avoid racism yeah yeah <laughs> cool it's hard out here being biracial. It's really hard. But good on us, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm proud of that. And, you know, the older I get, the more I, you know, look at those experiences and say, yeah, I think it's, you know, it's not a, 
it's not always a good thing because, yeah, you don't want to have to avoid racism, but I think it does give you different uh, skills and different... Put it um, on your resume. Yeah, that's right. Able to negotiate complex, racially charged situations. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember as a kid seeing yourself in like media or in books or in television and that kind of thing? I definitely, um, as a kid, remember thinking, hey, you know, like there's never... There's never someone like me in – oh, and my parents always always used to watch SBS World News, oh. right? Always. And they always had, you know, ethnically diverse and ambiguous yes. news presenters. Probably all biracial now yeah. that I think yeah. about yeah. it. We should, the the <laughs> yeah. we should get them on the pod. We get them on the pod. And I remember thinking like feeling more, you know, um, closely aligned or, you know, a, a, a greater affinity to, to SBS World News than any other kind of um, experience, TV or, or media experience just because there were people that kind of looked like me. And, and you know, and, and again, it feeds into that um, feeling of pride about it because you're like, hey, these people are like worldly, you know, like they, they know what's going on in the world. Like, and I saw that, uh, you know, and, and being um, forced to learn Chinese as well, saw that as a way of, um, you know, Putting myself or using that as as a as a badge of pride and and something to say, okay, well, you know, like I am different, but I'm gonna I'm gonna utilize that difference and and let it build confidence in me rather than kind of bring me down. And you know, I never thought how influential SBS World News was to my sense of identity and confidence. <laughs> ask Kate, ask Kate what her representation was. <laughs> uh, Kate, can you tell us where you saw yourself? Oh, mine's really messed up. <laughs> So I first saw myself in a book when I read Looking for Alabrandi, but it's about an Italian family. So literally did not see myself, but it was just like any other ethnic background and like she was from like a big family and her mum had a weird name and the family was really into each other's lives in a way that like white family or white friends family weren't. And uh, yeah, so here I was. Ident- Looking for Ella Brandy. And identifying with the Italian family. Yep. Just just scraping the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> Literally. I was like, she has brown hair, I have brown hair. Oh, <laughs> my God. Is there anything else that we want to ask, Damien? I can't think of anything. Damien, is there anything you want to ask us or you want to say? Mm, not really. No, like, I think You guys are really cool. and. <laughs> oh, you guys are very cool. I do like – I mean, I will say one thing on that. Just – through the process of thinking about this podcast and having discussions with you, particularly Kate, around it over the last few years, it has really helped me, I guess, come to a point of uh, acceptance and also anger—not anger, but maybe maybe a bit of fight—as to thinking about it more consciously and, and why have I had to to do all this and you know why is it something that even even though it's in my eyes been a positive thing for me, there are parts that. I feel tired and exhausted with whether they are, you know, good things or not, you know, whether people are kind of looking at it as like, a, hey, you know, great, you've got this ethnic, you know, diversity. It's like, oh, God, yeah, but I don't want to, you know, sometimes I don't want to engage with that. Like, I don't want to have to do that. So you know, I definitely feel a degree of comfort or affinity when I'm, when I meet somebody who, yeah, is, similarly biracial and I'm just like oh you know like I don't have to you don't have to go through the dance Mm. it's it's more just like all right great like we've come to this point in our lives through through very similar experiences no doubt and yeah just this degree of comfort so yeah I think just going through this whole process has been really 
interesting and fun. So. We really, really, really appreciate you and your time. Yay. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. And thank you for listening to Being Biracial. This podcast is hosted, edited and produced by us, Kate Robinson and Maria Birch-Moranga. Just two gals making a podcast. The music that you are listening to right now is by The Green Twins and this is their amazing song, Take It Slow. You can find it on Spotify. This work was developed with the support of Footscray Community Arts Centre through the generous use of their podcast studio here on the lands of the Kulin Nation. If you are biracial and interested in being interviewed by us, get in touch. Send us your questions, things that you're interested in hearing about from us and our guests. Or if you'd like to sponsor or support our podcast, please reach out. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Instagram at Being Biracial Podcast or send us an email at Being Biracial Podcast at gmail.com. And if you liked this episode, why not subscribe? Bye. Bye.